0: hello jordan <laughs> what's up michael
1: not much my man we just finished uh recording last week's episode and because you know this next week i'm gonna be at the national sports card convention with gary in chicago mm. Uh, I I don't think those are pretty full days, so I don't know that we'll be able to record, but we made a a real, true, honest-to-God commitment to trying our very best for weekly episodes, so we're recording one in advance. Bro, this
0: passion fruit, truly, is way better than the strawberry kiwi. Was the strawberry kiwi too sweet? Strawberry kiwi, it was—oh, you're cheersing? Yeah, cheers. Um, I like the strawberry kiwi, but it's too— Bl- it's too light, too bland. Hmm. The passion fruit has a little bit more tartness to it, which yeah. I like a lot. It's the good. The flavor comes through. It is good. I like the lime
1: one as well. If you're ever in the market.
0: Yeah, that's good. I like that a lot. What are we talking about this, this podcast? We're just going to hmm. jump right into it. We got questions. You want to dive right into No, the no, questions? no, No.
1: The first question is non-fitness and it's one that you had said you wanted to talk about.
0: So we can start there. Okay. I don't remember what it was. Perfect. Oh, wait, is it the, the bald one? Yes. Oh, cool. And I don't
1: even have the question in front of me. I just wrote balding question <laughs> because I assumed you remembered it. It was about keep was, maintaining confidence. Prior when to having your like hair. four
0: drinks. <laughs> I
1: don't remember the question. <laughs> okay, I'll make it up. Um, Jordan, <laughs> how, how are you so confident and what advice would you give to someone who's going bald and I feel insecure about it? Got
0: it. So there's actually research on this, which I found very interesting. Um When I, I so I started going bald at a young age. My entire family is bald. I remember, not my entire family. Males on my family in my family are bald. <laughs> my entire family. <laughs> Everybody. All the men in my family are bald, and I remember growing up. Like, you know, when you're a kid, you make fun of your dad. You're like, oh, your dad, you're bald. And he would just like look at me, not laughing or anything. He'd just be like, it's coming for you very soon. (laughs) And I would, I'd be like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, you're a kid, you don't really believe him. And I noticed when I was like 17 or 18, I was like, my hairline is definitely receding. I could see it early on. No one else noticed it, but I was like, it's definitely moving back. Um, As soon as I noticed that my, that I was starting to go bald and it might start to be noticeable. So I was living in Israel. I I graduated college or graduated high school and I wasn't going to college right away. So I took a year off, went to Israel. And I, I, I vividly remember I was in my apartment. I was like, my hair is going like, I see it. I could see it going. Not most people couldn't see it. Like, unless you like got really close and like you knew me and all that stuff. I was like, it is definitely thinning. So I remember just being like, screw it. I'm shaving it. And I I saw that
1: picture recently. Yeah. I I I love that idea.
0: I I was like, screw it. I'm shaving it. Like, what's the point? Like, what am I just going to do? Try and like, hold on to this image of me as like, and I probably had until I was probably 25. Like if I really, like, I probably had until I was 25 before I would have needed to, but I was like, screw it. It's, it's happening anyway. Might as well. And for me, for whatever reason, I went to the extreme. So, my the men in my family, they're not just bald, they have the type of bald where they have hair on like the side of their head and like around the back, but mm-hmm. the top is bald, mm-hmm. just like which is the most common kind of bald, unless someone shaves it, right? I think, like, I think some people go full bald but I don't know. Like they have like the, you know, it's like a, I don't know how to just yeah, hair it. around the sides and back yeah. and nothing on top, which yep. like for me, I was been like, I don't know that, that I don't like that look. I don't like the look of having hair on the side of your head, but not the top of your head. It's just get rid of all of it. Right. Yeah. Yep. So I remember I was like, I felt like the worst type of bald for me was having hair on the sides and the back, but not on the top. So when I was 18, I literally shaved my head To look like I was like a 60-year-old man, where I had hair on the side of my head in the back, but not the top. And I walked around like that for a week just to like condition myself to the looks. And it was like and I was living in Israel, and my all my roommates thought I was insane. They're like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm going bald anyway, so I might as well do this. And I got the weirdest looks because I was a young kid with like the weirdest type of bald head you could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And, and then after that, I was like, cool, I'll just shave it all off. And I shaved it all off and my head's been shaved ever since. And uh, I think that actually worked out really well in my favor because I never tried to hold on to it. I never tried to hold on to this idea like, oh, I've got a full head of hair. Like I need to save this. I was never going to take Rogaine or get any like hair transplants. I had never liked any of that stuff. Comb overs or, ugh, no. or yeah, It's yeah. like I never liked the idea of pretending to be someone that you're not. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I just, I didn't like that idea. Um, and, and that was it. And then I started to look into research and I remember some, I was, I was, dating this, this girl at the time I was younger and she was like, I've never dated like someone who had a shaved head, but I really like yours. And she ended up sending me research and she was like, I think this is why I liked you so much. There was research that showed. Wait, 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 the girlfriend sent you the research? Yeah. She sent me this research. Wow. It was really interesting. Um, she sent me this research and she was like, I think this is why I find it so attractive. The research showed that women either find a full head of hair very attractive, or completely shaved bald attractive. But if you're in the middle and you're trying to remain retain a semblance of hair when you clearly don't have it, that is unattractive. Hmm. Right? Where it's like hmm. if which is basically like you're 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 it's showing your confidence in what you have. Right? Mm-hmm. You either have a full head of hair, which is cool, awesome. Or if you don't, get rid of it mm-hmm. and own it, mm-hmm. and that was it. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense, especially just knowing, generally speaking, what women find attractive in men. It's confidence, which is different than co- being cocky or obnoxious, but confidence in who you competence. are. Confidence, yeah. And if you're if you're pretending that you have a head of hair when you don't, that is not confident in yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. No matter what, like you cannot argue that pretending to have something you don't have is confident. That's, that's insecurity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was basically it. And, and that's owning who you are. It solidified to me. I was like, screw it. Like, I'm just going to own it even more. And I feel like I did a pretty good job early on. I definitely, when I was younger, there was some insecurity there. Like, oh, this sucks. I'm like one of the first guys in, in my age group to start going bald. But as soon as I shaved, it turned into something funny. Like people thought it was hilarious when I shaved it in that like weird way with the hair on the sides at like 18 years old, it turned into something funny. And then from there, it was just like, listen, if, if you're going bald or you notice it, I would just say fucking shave it, mm-hmm. like get rid of it and own it. And that's it. And I think people are going to respect that and like, like that much more <laughs> than you trying to hold on to it or I don't know, like I'm. I can't I, say, like, don't take Rogaine or don't get hair transplants. Like, who am I like to, to judge? But if it's my decision, I'd say, screw that. Just be
1: who you are. Fully own who you are within the context of it being something that you can't control. And, and when I say you can't control, I mean you can't control naturally. Like, yeah. yep. you know, hair transplant, it's all, I'm going to try an analogy. I'm not good at analogies, so we'll let Jordan grade me here. But I feel like a hair transplant, to being bald is, is similar to changing your physique by way of, you know, where you get your fat sucked out of your legs or out of your stomach and get it injected in your butt. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I it's, it's not like changing something, becoming more healthy or, or starting to exercise or doing anything else. It's literally, you know, fundamentally changing who you are through a technology to look different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and again, like if you decide to do that, cool, like that's fine. Um, I just don't want anyone to feel like they need to do that, right? Like I think that's the difference. If you decide as an adult, you know what, screw it. I'm going to get hair transplants or I'm going to, uh, whatever it is. Cool. Go for it. Own it. You know, that's actually an interesting point because I have, I have many friends and colleagues who, who have breast implants, for example, right? And, uh, and they own it. And it's funny because I love it when they're like, yeah, I got a boob job. And I love my boob job. Mm. And I'm like, I love that. I love that you own it. You're not trying Mm -hmm. to hide it. You're not trying to pretend. It's like, yeah, I got a boob job. Love my boobs. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. I love that. Yeah. Whatever you do, just own what you do. Mm -hmm. Just own it. And, And I have a friend who has a tattoo that he hates. He was like, yeah, I got a tattoo and I hate this tattoo. And I'm like, I don't know. For whatever it is, whatever you do, just own what you do. It's honest. Own it. Yeah. It's like if you're trying to hide or pretend or whatever, it's just, it's not a quality that people are drawn to. Whatever it is that you have, whatever it is that you do, just own it. Yeah. And that I think is the most attractive quality. Yeah. Not to mention
1: physical attractiveness is. Like there's a debate about if it's attractive or not. And then there's who cares about physical attractiveness, Mm. right? Especially, and we don't have to go down this route. I feel like we're past this point in our lives than to go down this route, (laughs) but from like, uh, uh, what women like in men or like what makes you a good mate, physical, like objective, visual attractiveness is so far down the ladder for guys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's very true.
1: I've always thought that bald and jacked is a great look yep. like many times many many times starting around late college cuz i used to buzz my hair with a one blade Oh really? Yeah 1920 basically until i started my my accounting job so from 19 mm. to 24 most of those years I was buzzing it down to a one blade. <laughs> and one year I really wanted to just shave it bald because I thought it would look good. It's mm. so like if I'm going down to a one, which I think is an eighth of an inch, I'm like, I just want to yeah. put shaving cream on and do the real deal because yeah. I thought it was a cool look.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like bald and beard. Bald and the beard. That's a great way. I can't yeah. do that. But that, if I could, I would. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the good answer question. to that question. Good question. All right. Where about
1: 11 minutes in. I was looking at the top one. I was like, that didn't take 28 minutes. (laughs) Um, Have you ever felt like giving up on your business?
0: This is an interesting question. Uh, I think we need to clarify. I think there's a difference between feeling like giving up on your business versus feeling like nothing is working. Mm. Right. It's like there have been many times where I have felt like things aren't working, where I felt like it's not going the, the right direction, where I felt like I'm not making an impact, where I felt like like I don't know if this is actually going to work. But none of that even comes close to equating to I'm going to quit. And if I'm being very honest, I don't think there's ever been a time in my entire career where I've even remotely thought I think I should quit. Mm. There, but there have been many times where I've felt like it's not going the way that I feel like it should go. Sort of like with um, sort of like with weight loss, right? Where it's like there will be many times, especially if you don't know how the scale works, you don't know that fluctuations are normal it's very common to be like, oh, like my scale went up three pounds. This isn't working. So what do you do? Do you quit or do you just keep going and wait and be patient? And I think it's something that I learned at a really young age, which is like, even if you feel like it's not working, it doesn't justify quitting. Mm -hmm. I think if you're at a point where you're, you're feeling like, I think I should quit, you need to ask yourself, do you feel like you should quit because you think it's not working? In which case you should just keep going or do you feel like you should quit because you this isn't for you? Like this isn't the the career or profession that you're actually interested in. Two different questions, and they're important to know the answer to. There was never a question that this was the career that I should go. This was my the this was always the career path I should follow. And I knew that from the time I was. What do you what flavor is that? Mango Mango. Nice. This is always the career path I knew I should take from when I was 14 years old. There was no question about it but if you're at a point where you're like hey like I think I should quit because you don't know if you like coaching people if if you don't like coaching people you don't like doing this you don't then quit for sure like there's a great book it's called The Dip i think it's by Malcolm Glad. no 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 by Seth Godin it's by Seth Godin it's a quick book you could read this book in 45 minutes in fact what i'm about to tell you will nullify the need to read the book but i think you still should The Dip sort of turns the idea of um, quitters never win and winners never quit on its head. Because Seth Godin talks about how actually the people who win are the best at quitting, right? And and what that means is the, pe- like, the whole idea, like quitters never win and winners never quit. That's not true. The people who win are very good at understanding what they need to focus on and what they need to quit, mm. right? And that's what he calls the dip. And what this signifies is Anytime you start something new, the initial, the first initial period is a, a sharp learning curve in which you're not really expecting to make progress. Uh, it's a very difficult time. You're learning new skills, new habits, new all these different things. And so this is like the first little bit, like that first difficult patch. Once you get past that first difficult patch, you find the dip, and the dip is where you've learned new skills, you've studied, you've practiced, you've developed new habits. And you're figuring out in this dip period, is this worth more time? Because you can either quit in that dip and then transfer to something else, or you can keep going, understanding that you haven't faced even remotely the hardest of times yet. Because if you decide to keep going past the dip, that is when the real difficulty begins. That is when the, 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 drudgery and the monotony and the difficulty and the battle starts. The the initial learning phase is difficult because you're starting something completely new, but it's relatively quick. You can be over that in a matter of months. Whereas the building phase, the putting these practices, these habits into practice and spending months and years, like that's the battle. And the people who win consistently are able to quit in that dip after the first few months when they realize, you know what? This isn't worth it for me anymore. So you gotta decide, like, is this something that you love and you really, you're, you're willing to spend years building or is it not something you love and you wanna go find something else? And the only person who can answer, can answer that is you. Great answer.
1: I haven't read that book.
0: It's a great book. But again, basically everything I just said nullifies the reason to read it, but still might wanna That's read it. Some- it literally could read it in 45 minutes. It's a very, very quick read. Uh, quick PSA:
1: Anytime you're having a drink, like a truly, just dropping your carbs by 25 <laughs> for the day is the <laughs> optimal way to always be recomping. It's I
0: just, like that. It's there's only two grams of carbs in this. I know,
1: but that's crazy. But there's there's basically 100 calories worth of alcohol. Yeah, it's about yeah, yeah. 1.5 ounces of, yeah. of
0: alcohol, and, uh, and yeah. All right, passion fruit. Passion fruit truly is the best flavor for whatever it's worth. I've had all of the flavors. Passion fruit's the best. I like this mango one, but yeah, it's, that one's good too. Um,
1: have you ever felt like giving up on your business? I felt like giving up. You know what? I wouldn't even phrase it that way. I knew that when I was a public accountant, a CPA, an auditor, I knew that if I worked that job for the rest of my life, I would have regretted it on my deathbed, that I did not try to do something else. And so it took me, you know, over a year from the time I made the decision that, okay, I need to get out of here until I actually quit to to have everything right from a personal finance perspective and just from a life perspective. But I did. I have never felt like giving up or quitting uh, my fitness business or from the fitness industry. I have had periods where I knew something in my life needed to change. And I wasn't exactly sure what. Usually that was additive, meaning what are other things I need to bring into my life rather than, uh, what do I need to stop doing related to business? And when it's, what are things I need to bring in? It's like, I need to bring in more sleep. I need to bring in more uh, time, not scrolling on my phone. I need to bring in more sunlight. I need to bring in more stimulating conversations with friends. So I started a podcast that like ties in, but there's never been a time where I was, you know, either, uh, from lack of success or from burnout wanted to completely stop doing what I was doing. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's a little more succinct, but that's the straightforward answer.
0: Yeah. I like that. There have been times where I felt a little bit burned out and where, so for example, there've been times where. Transition
1: strategies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there were times when uh, I felt burned out with Mm one-on-one coaching there have been times I felt I burned out with, with in-person coaching. There were times I felt I burned out with uh, with Instagram. There were times I felt burned out with with anything, but never was the option to quit. The option was, Pivot. well, what do I want to focus on? Yeah. Right. And, and this is I think it's there are many things to compare it to. One of them could potentially be, you know, in fitness if someone wants to lose weight. It's like instead of focusing on what you can't eat, why don't you focus on what you can eat more of? Mm. Right, focus on the things that that are going to help you and that you can enjoy while eating more of. Uh, and I think this is, for lack of a better phrase, someone might get mad. I think this is the difference between winners and losers. Like this is a difference between fundamentally winners and losers. Optimism you, and pessimism. Do you focus on the things that like that are that you can't control, the things that you hate, the things that are negative, the things that are pessimistic, or do you focus on the things you can control, the things you can do? Um, if you're going to win then you're going to focus on the things you can control. And you're always going to find a workaround, a solution, something else you can do. If you're going to lose, then you'll find a reason to lose. And you'll you'll only focus on the things that, that are too difficult and too hard and not fun and not worth it. And the cool part is you can choose. You choose what you focus on. So you
1: decide. Great answer. I think Michael Jordan in The Last Dance said something along the lines of, it was when he was hurt and he had a, if you come back and play on that ankle, there's a ninety percent chance you'll be okay, but there's a ten percent chance you'll get re-injured and it'll be really bad. And he was like, "All these guys, upper management, they see the glasses half empty. I'm the only one sitting here seeing the glasses half full."
0: Yeah, it's, it's optimism versus pessimism. What a great series! And then it really was then, a well-made documentary. And then I loved that where clearly the upper management was like, "Let's lose. We'll get a great pick in the draft." And Michael's like, "You don't play to lose." He's like, "If you're gonna play," You play to win, yeah. no matter what, every single time. If you haven't watched The Last Dance, it's a 10, 10 series, 10 yeah, video 10 series. Episode. Wow. It's on Netflix. This is my second time watching it. I think it's your third time watching it. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It, like, and you don't have to be a basketball fan to appreciate how incredible this documentary is. Like, Definitely, definitely watch it. Could not agree more. Given that I am making you rewatch it again here, yeah, we're we're sort of going back and forth between The Office and The Last Dance. <laughs>
1: Although, in fairness, like we're getting after it at six thirty, six forty-five in the morning, and working, we're going straight, all day, straight twelve-hour days, yeah, and then watching an hour, hour and a half at night,
0: yeah. It's been a good business trip. It really has.
1: Okay, I've got a fun, uh, I've got a, a fun little intermission exercise. So. A couple weeks ago, we did overrated, underrated, and I did them for you. You can start with me on these. Overrated, underrated, and you just want me to read these bullets? Yeah, just okay. one. We'll both talk about it, but just for a little mix
0: and format. Okay, overrated, underrated, knee extension. Underrated. Talk to me about it. I don't even know. I have no idea where you're going with this. I, I stopped
1: doing any... Isolation work on my quads from basically from basically the day I learned about a hip hinge in 2012, okay. which was unfortunately late in my training career. But uh, until very recently, and since adding back some some short stride lunges, some walking lunges, some uh, I really like a leg extension, like a 15 to 20 rep leg mm. extension to close to failure. Um, I feel so much better mm. since intentionally strengthening my quads and building muscle on my quads. And, you know, I don't know in the grand scheme of, you know, where, where trainers are at from a lower body programming perspective and what the ratio of like hip dominant versus knee dominant movements are. And yeah, how much glute isolation, hamstring isolation, I know like glutes have been popular for a few years in culture. And so that translates into Mm, programming to get them, but training quads feels really good. And, uh, and, They're important for for everyday movement for gen pop, and they're important in addition to posterior chain strength, obviously, but they're also important for athleticism.
0: Those are some good points. It really highlights how the the fitness industry runs on a pendulum of extremes. It's either good or bad, right or wrong, the best or the worst. Um, Ever since I see the rise of glute training big time in the last few years, Mm -hmm. I've seen a dramatic rise in hip pain like real, real hip issues coming through with people doing hip thrusts and squats three, four times a week. Mm. I'm like, you think that's a surprise? You're driving your hips into the socket. Like you're, you're doing a loaded, like, even if it's not super heavy, you're doing this three, four times a week. What do you, what do you expect? You're creating some real, real, um, uh, bad habits and you're creating some real, uh, asymmetries right now. Mm -hmm. And, and literally one of the most common questions is how do you grow your glutes without growing your quads? So I see people just growing their glute, glute focus, glute focus, glute focus, glute focus with zero quad training. It's like, man, you're asking for some real hip issues as you get older. So yeah, I love that. Definitely. Definitely train some more quads. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Even just one to two sets of something is is like enough to sometimes offset some of the potential negative side effects of only doing glutes. Yeah. For whatever it's worth, I hate
1: You don't the, like leg extensions.
0: No, no. It's not the leg extensions. I just hate the feeling of burning quads. Oh yeah. I that's fair. My fiance, that's her favorite muscle to work. She loves the feeling of when her quads are burning. She hates the feeling when her hamstrings are burning. I'm the opposite. Hmm. Hamstring burning is one of the most one of the most like rewarding enjoyable ones for me. Quads, I I want to die. Like when my quads are burning from a leg extension or from a squat or from a walking lunge, whatever it is, absolute torture to me. The worst.
1: Interesting the worst. It's funny how that personal preference sneaks in in various ways. I've I've heard, I had a client email me a few days ago uh, asking, or not asking, but basically saying, hey, is it weird that I absolutely hate the feeling of, of failure, of getting close to failure, burnout on isolation movements. These mm. like 12 and 15 rep curls and lateral raises. Yep. And then yesterday during our upper body day, when you were doing lateral raises, you were like, is it, and, and he also said, he's like, I love the compound movements, but I hate these isolation moves. Yep. You were like, I
0: hate, iso- I love <laughs> compound moves. I hate isolation moves. Yeah. Like, this is deja vu. Dude, it's, it's, I, I get it. I get it. I hate isolation exercises. I just don't like that burning feeling. Love the compound moves. All right, underrated, overrated, taking the back. I have no idea. I designed <laughs> this for you. I, I guess
1: uh, I'll speak for the Gen Pop non compound For anyone who doesn't know, taking the enthusiast.
0: back is not a sexual reference, just so everyone knows. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fighting jujitsu thing, like when you take someone's back and you have control of their back. But yeah, keep going.
1: I'm, I'm going to say that the, the non-fighter, I'll speak for all of the, you know, billions in the world, probably place an overemphasis on striking mm. if they were in a situation where they were forced to defend themselves or defend someone they love. And so I would say that taking the
0: back as a general strategy is underrated. Agreed. Taking the back. So when you take someone's back, imagine I think the easiest way to explain it is imagine if if you've never watched mixed martial arts or fighting or jujitsu. Imagine you get to a point where you are able to strangle someone from behind, right? Where like that is essentially taking someone's back when you have control of them from behind. This is a very underrated position for many, many reasons. Uh, Not least of which we could think about it just logically from the perspective of if you're in a fight with someone, most people's initial gut response, like Mike just said, is to strike. It's very difficult for someone to strike you when you're behind them. Like, and even if they can, they're, they're minimal damage strikes. If you're in front of them or to the side of them, there's kicking, there's punching, there's elbowing, there's headbutts, there's all of that. When you're behind them, it's much harder for them to actually cause damage to you. The other reason why, why getting someone's back is so, so, so beneficial and underrated is because you have direct access to their neck. Mm-hmm. And that's really the key. Like, if, if you're really good at fighting or jujitsu or whatever it is, even if you break someone's arm or you break their leg, or you, whatever. You could do anything to one of their limbs. They could have a weapon that they could use. They could access with the other arm. Uh, they can they can still do things, even if a limb is broken or, or injured. When you have access to their neck and you can put them unconscious by simply, by, by strangling them, this has turned into a different episode. <laughs> but when you can, when no one, I don't care how big they are, how strong they are, whatever, the neck is the most vulnerable part of, someone, of someone's body. It is. And it doesn't take long to put someone to sleep. It doesn't. And I don't care how big you are, how strong you are. If you can put someone to sleep, you give yourself the opportunity to get away. And, and the cool part about when you, when you actually understand how to put someone to sleep, it's not dangerous to them. It, it might sound, oh, my God, like you're not killing them. They're not dead. You're restricting the blood flow uh, to their brain for a few seconds, which puts them to sleep. They'll come to within a matter of seconds, but it gives you an opportunity to get away and stay and get safe without actually doing damage. You do more damage when you break their elbow, you break their shoulder, you you do something like you do way more damage when you attack the limb versus when you attack the neck, but the neck keeps you safe and them safe. So taking the back, super underrated. Nice. You like that one in there? Love that one in there. <laughs> <laughs> Love that one. Should I go on? Should I do more? Yeah, in, okay. Yeah, yeah. Overrated, underrated Gary V. I mean, we got a solid
1: 10 minutes left here. I think we'll hit another question after this. So we'll be relatively quick on these. Uh, this this I put this on here because I wanted an opportunity to mini rant on, on. Well, first uh, a specific piece of content I saw, but second, this like generalized uh, feeling or position of a mass group of people who characterize and, and this is. Remember in 2018, I remember you getting in like a Facebook comment war with someone oh, yeah. in this industry. Who like I exactly. Literally took hours to make like a very complicated, you know, meme, like this very specific picture. A lot of work went into it with no value to it other than trashing Gary. Yeah. And you were just like going
0: to battle. And I went him. in. I was like, you don't even know this guy. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um I've felt like that with a lot of the, this one characterizing a lot of his positions that aren't actually true, specifically around work ethic. And, and sleep and I mean many of them, but also um the the general position that hard work is a bad thing. Mm. The general position that things should come easy and that you know if you're working hard at something that's not a, a good use of your time or that's not a good way to to spend your life, this like celebration of apathy and mediocrity, which if embodied universally is the demise of cultures, the demise of humans is the demise of societies. Like all great things were built because humans worked hard and diligently over months and years and decades to create those things that, that bring everything up and make everyone else's lives better too. Ideally, not always, but ideally. And, uh, and all of the, the pushback on that, um, I hate for one and two, there was a YouTube video that popped up the other night, which is why I threw this on here that Gary posted as a, a short of him garage sailing and mm. it, it popped, you know, those like a less than 60 second video on YouTube. It had millions of views. I think it was on oh, really? Gary's channel. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and people d- just like, you know, it, it wasn't a normal like to dislike ratio, obviously. And all the top comments are like, Oh, there's more dislikes. Not more dislikes, but a lot of, a lot dislikes, of dislikes. And yeah. all the comments were negative, and people trashing him for, I don't even remember specifics. Not going the and, top going right. to garage like, sales. Like, why, like, you're ripping these people off. Like, why are you spending your time going to garage sales? Like, was this the you book one, the, one with the books? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, and
0: it, underrated. Underrated. <laughs> for me, no one's ever looked up to someone who is lazy yeah no one like no one's ever become a a world leader no matter how pure their intentions by being lazy no one's ever looked up to someone like who's your who's your role model so and so why well because they were lazy no one
1: in ever wor- world leader all the way to like
0: factory line worker
1: farmer like in any position should be met with diligence and excellence and hard work
0: yeah yeah. And even if that just means like something as simple as being the best you can be for your family. 100% that's like yes, laziness is not something to revere. Apathy is not something to revere. Relaxation uh, is. It- Rest, recovery is. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. It's not saying like burning the candlestick on both ends to the point in which you burn out and you can't do anything. It's saying- if you're blessed enough to have the ability to work hard, to provide for yourself, for your family, and on a bigger level for society to make the world a better place, it's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And and we shouldn't be uh, we shouldn't be celebrating just playing Xbox all day and sleeping in and smoking and I don't know. Shouldn't be celebrating that, in my yeah. opinion. Yep. Yeah, Can Gary V. More underrated. Underrated. All right. Another, we have a question. Yeah, we'll go to a question.
1: Last one to finish here is how do you know if you're in a deficit, if you don't count calories?
0: Um, okay. So this is a good question. Um, here's what I'll say. I, I'll sort of liken this question to people often ask me, they'll be like, should I be tracking or how do I track how many calories I burn? And I'll always be like, I don't care how many calories you burn. Just track how many calories you're eating and your progress. And they'll be like, well, how are you supposed to know if you're in a calorie deficit? Like, well, your progress will show you if you are or not, which brings up the point, realistically, you don't technically need to track your calories in either. Track your progress. Like all you really need to track is your progress and your progress will tell you, whether or not you're in a calorie deficit. Is your weight going down on a month-to-month basis? If not, you're not in a calorie deficit. Are your measurements going down? Are your pants or your clothes getting a little bit looser? Like If if these things are not happening, and not every day, not every week, but on a month-to-month basis, then you are not in a calorie deficit, period. I think tracking your calories in is significantly easier and more accurate than tracking your calories burned for a number of reasons. So I like to track calories in and progress. So you have two of the three most important things in a very accurate way to understand what changes you can make in order to continue seeing great progress. But really, how do you know if you're in a calorie deficit? You keep track of your weight. You keep track of your measurements. You keep track of your pictures. You keep track of your clothing size on a consistent basis. And if they're improving you're in a calorie deficit. If they're not, you're not. That's right. It's hundred percent correct. You, you need a lot
1: of time to know if you're in a calorie deficit, if you are not tracking because you know, day-to-day fluctuations, food in your stomach, uh, hydration, glycogen, sodium, all of these things cause day-to-day scale weight to vary as we all know, and so like Jordan said, he didn't say day to day or week to week. He said month to month scale weight will tell you if you're in a deficit or not. If you want to know if you're in a deficit immediately, like today, track. <laughs> yeah. and, and if you have a serious reason or, uh, you know, a, a mental health or a psychological reason for not tracking calories, fair, understood, good. Don't track them. If it's out of, I don't want to learn, it seems hard, it seems confusing, it takes a long time, it's annoying, uh, any of the above and anything related to that, track your calories, track your macronutrients. You'll know that day if you're in a deficit or not. Or or be okay knowing that you're going to have to wait a little while to know whether or not you're in a deficit.
0: Correct. Yeah. Another way, you said this yesterday, if you're not hungry... Oh, this is my, gen- my general rule? Yeah.
1: Yeah, if, you, if right before bed you're a little bit hungry and you, and you got that little burning feeling in your stomach and you want to eat something, and you do, and you go make yourself a sandwich and go to bed, you probably weren't in a deficit that day. However, if you have that feeling right before bed, stomach's burn a little bit, a little bit hungry, it's 9.30 at night, you're going to bed in a half hour, and you just go to sleep without, any, without eating anything, you were probably in a deficit for the day.
0: And obviously that's not accurate if you had pancakes and waffles and ice cream earlier in the day at like 2 p.m. and you're hungry. But if you're keeping everything in check and you're doing the 98% of things properly, it's actually a pretty good marker to go by. Good heuristic, yeah.
1: Especially if you have some experience tracking.
0: Yeah. If, if you don't
1: have experience tracking, then you have less structure around your meal timing and macronutrient composition of your meals, and you're less likely to be there and less like, basically intuitive, you have a worse chance of intuitive eating being successful, the less experience you have tracking calories and macros.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's one of the, actually the first questions I'll ask clients if, if someone swears up and down that they're in a calorie deficit, it's just not working one of the first questions will be like, hey, tell me how's your hunger on a scale of one to 10, one being not hungry at all, 10 being like outrageously hungry. And if they tell me that they're really not that hungry, then I'm like, well, then clearly you're not in a deficit. Yeah. Because it's part, unfortunately, of being in a deficit. Mm -hmm. It's like I was hungry during my cut for my jujitsu competition. Mm -hmm. I wasn't starving, but I was more hungry than when I could just eat whenever I wanted. Yeah, when you compare it to not tracking at all, or when you compare it to
1: maintenance calories, yeah, you're you're gonna you might not be starving, but you're gonna be you're gonna feel a difference
0: mm-hmm. compared
1: to being at maintenance.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's Great today's episode. podcast. Get some trulies again, not sponsored. <laughs> We've had a couple of trulies over the last few hours, and uh, passion fruit is my favorite. What's your favorite? Mango passion fruit i think mango is my favorite truly flavor i like it yeah awesome thank you for listening please leave a five-star review uh they've been helping a ton if you want to join the mentorship get coached by mike and i we would love to have you the link is in the show notes have a wonderful day we'll talk to you soon bye everyone